You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Get our Bibles out today and uh, turn to Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, as we uh, finish up our series, "We the Church." It's been our kind of our launch series this fall, and there were four parts to it. The first message was about uh, getting to glory. It wasn't a message about how you get to heaven so much, although that was maybe a subplot to the message. The message was really about how do we get to glorifying God in our lives. Um, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, the mission statement of our church to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And so as people of God, are we focused in our lives toward giving and giving God the glory and getting to a place of glorious living, not perfectly, but growing up in Christ a little bit more each day. The uh, second message was about the Word of God. It is trustworthy. And we looked at eight reasons why we can trust the Word of God. And then the next message was uh, a message where we talked about what is the Word really about? And we talked about the fact that the Word of God is the revelation of God and His character and primarily demonstrated to us in the revelation of redemption in Jesus Christ. That's why we have this thing called the Bible. Today we want to take a look at this last message, and it's called the Word of God. The Word, it is sufficient it's everything we need. So get your Bibles open now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read His Word. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the first 17 verses today, but I'm only going to read verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, we can hold your word in our hands, and it is enough. It's what we need. Um, Lord, so often we run to other things and count on other things, and we put your word in second, third, fourth place, or we don't even think about it. And Lord, that everything we need for godly living is found in this book. And so would you lead us today? Would you challenge our hearts? Would you encourage us? Would you give us ears to listen carefully to what your word says, God? Would you give us uh, minds to be able to comprehend and understand? And then, God, would you give us hearts to leave from here different people trusting who you are and what you've given to us, the sufficiency of the word to guide us in our lives that we would live passionately for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can, you can take your seats. In, in the early 90s, uh, Sue and I bought the first house we ever bought um, in Muskoka. And uh, being in Muskoka, it was kind of in the country, um, and uh, so it didn't have water and sewer and all those things. We had a septic system, and we had a well, and uh, our water came from a well. And so we moved in with our, our two kids into that house and didn't have the washer and dryer hooked up yet, and we never did have a dishwasher there. And on about day two, we ran out of water. There was no water. The well was dry. We didn't have a sufficient source of water. And you'd get up in the morning, and you might brush your teeth, and you might... The water we had was safe. There just wasn't hardly any of it. And uh, 
And so we had to get that problem solved. And um, so we went back and looked at the agreements of the house and what we had sold. And fortunately, the uh, real estate agent and lawyers had put in the agreement the words safe and sufficient water. Uh, there was safe water, but by nobody's um, standard was there sufficient water. And, uh, um, and so as a result, while we were waiting to get the problem rectified, and my lawyer's writing a letter to another lawyer from the previous owner because it was his problem. He needed to get it fixed. And a company came in. They did what they called fracturing, things you don't even care about. But they fractured the well, which means they pushed water pressure in so it split the rock down under the ground so the water could flow in. And, uh, and they did it, and it worked. And we never had a shortage of water ever again. The water we had was safe, but it wasn't sufficient. And because we didn't have sufficient water, we had to go find water in other places. Or we had to bring it from my workplace. We'd go into town, bring a jug home from church when we were there because we didn't have sufficient water. The source that we had wasn't enough. I think that pictures a lot of us in our spiritual walk. Uh, we have sufficient water, but for some reason, we go looking for water in other places. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the fact that God's Word is sufficient for us. And we shouldn't be going and looking in other places for what God has already provided for us in His Word. We hold the Word of God highly in our church, and we want to talk about that as we dive into it today. So um, a few things we want to look at. Here's the first one. God's Word is sufficient uh, for the world we live in today. Um, it's sufficient so that we can stand in a very dark world. And God's word is sufficient to demonstrate and show us what our world looks like even today. Um, the reality is that we find ourselves in a mess. It's a messy world. It's a world that rejects God, turns its back on him. And, and uh, Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, as he comes to this text, he really hits into that. And in uh, verse uh, 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. In the last days, there's going to be times of difficulty. Lots of people like to talk about what are the last days and all the rest of it. The reality is, in general, the last days are everything after the ascension of Jesus Christ until he comes back again. We live in those last days. And so, Paul is going to describe to Timothy what that's going to look like. What's amazing, well, it shouldn't be amazing, it's God's Word, but what's amazing is you could take this list and put it right out in 2016, and it is bang on uh, what our world looks like. And, uh, and so there's a whole list of things that uh, he talks about. He says in verse 2, for people will be. This is how they're going to be. It's who they are. Outside of Jesus Christ, this list is the list that describes you. Uh, in Jesus Christ, the things that are on this list should not be on your resume. And so as we're going through the list, if you're convicted about something, something strikes you and it's like, oh my goodness, that, I'm not supposed to look like that. That's not the way I'm supposed to be. Allow God's Spirit to work in your heart and be willing to turn from that and get right with the Lord. Um, but he comes to this and uh, the things you don't want on your resume. Here's what he says. We're just going to walk right through them. First one says, lovers of self. Lovers of self. You see, man outside of Christ has himself on the throne. I am the most important. I am the king of my castle. What I want is most important. 
I'm a lover of myself. I love myself more than I love my spouse or my family. I, I love myself certainly more than I love God. And, and so I find myself always looking for what I want and getting what I'm after. And you don't want that on your resume, a lover of self, a lover of money. But that's what the world looks like, lovers of money. Would people say that about you? If they said, uh, sat around and said, uh, name the top 10 people that you know who they just love money too much, would, would your name come up on that list? Would that be a word that describes you, a lover of money? Uh, maybe you would see that because you sit at home at night and wonder what you would ever do if you won the lottery. First of all, don't even bother playing the lottery. But if you find yourself and all of your time is always on, well, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, if you're always striving after, if you're cutting corners to get ahead, you're a lover of money. You're described as a person who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a person of the world, and there are going to be difficult times. The next word says you're proud. You're proud of your accomplishments. You're always eager to talk to people about what you've done instead of what God's done in you. You're always eager to put yourself out there on the throne instead of always bringing the Lord back to the place that he deserves. When you talk to people, do you always puff yourself up, your story up? You don't want that on your resume. Tied to that is arrogant just an arrogance about the way you carry yourself. And the way, that's the way the world lives. That's the way Paul describes. And, you know, you just, you just watch the news right now of what's going on. And it's like he was writing the list right out of the news cycle of our day. Arrogance. Abusive. Abusive of children. Abusive of power. Abusive disobedient to their parents. Uh, if you're in the room, you still live at home, or, or you're a kid who's still at home and uh, disobedient to parents. I, I got a call from a ministry, a colleague this week, whose daughter, who's not yet a teenager, has just gone sideways on them. Um, and, and therefore, the life of them, trying to figure out, well, what's going wrong here? It, it's a descriptive of our world. Uh, children who are turning on their parents, suing their parents for not, not people who don't uh, uh, give the, the kids who don't get what they want, and the kids just like go rebelling against disobedient to parents. It's, it's right in God's word. It's not something that's new today. It was new then. It wasn't new then. It was the reality of their day. It's the reality of our day. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. We live in a world that's so ungrateful. Um, we have so much, and yet we hardly take time to give thanks. Uh, we have Thanksgiving weekend, and we get to put a focus on that in our lives this weekend. But, but are, are you a grateful person? Is, are, are those the words that, that come out of your mouth, words of gratitude for what you have? We live, we live in a society where now I've got rights to all these things. The government needs to give me all these things. And, and we become more and more ungrateful as we have more and more things in our world ungrateful, unholy. How about this one? Heartless. Heartless. I just don't care about you. I want what I want. I'm going to get what I want. I'll step on whoever I need to step on. I'll push out of the way whoever needs to get pushed out of the way. Are you like that in your business? Are you like that at home when you want something? You don't want that on your resume. 
unappeasable. In other words, never satisfied. Never satisfied. You didn't have a house and you were able to buy a house and then the house needed stuff and you got some stuff and, and then you needed another car and you got another car and then you put a pool in the backyard and, and then that wasn't enough and then you needed a boat and then you needed a cottage and then you needed a, and then you needed a, and you needed a, because you're never satisfied. Never satisfied. Roofs are blowing off homes in Haiti. People don't have a place to live. If the roof blew off your house today, you would still have more than 80% of the people in the world. But we're never satisfied. I think that's one that should really probably touch all of us as we consider uh, what we look like in our world. Um, it was on Paul's list of what the world looks like, the world we live in, um, unappeasable, never satisfied, uh, people filled with slander, hurting comments, just watch the news cycle, without any self-control, without self-control in sexuality, without self-control in business practices, without self-control in the disciplines of our lives, brutal, just harsh, brutal people. Not loving good, and a few more. Treacherous, which means to be a traitor. You turn on anybody on a dime so that you will get what you want, so that you can get ahead. Reckless, the word literally means to be headstrong. I'm so stuck in what I want and where I'm going. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to adjust. I'm, I become reckless. Swollen or filled with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, every time we sin, in essence, we're a lover of pleasure more than we're a lover of God. Whenever I choose willfully to sin, I'm saying I want what I want more than I want what God wants. I'm a lover of pleasure. And maybe there's something in your life, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, that would be a description on your resume if you were to be honest and write it down. To get that off your resume. I don't have to have those things. I want what God wants for me. Perfectly, Pastor? Growing, changing, being more like Jesus Christ every day. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And what does uh, Paul say to Timothy? He says, uh, stay away from those people. Stay away from those people. God's word is sufficient so that it can demonstrate what a dark world looks like, and it's sufficient to protect us in it. Paul goes on, and in the next couple of verses, he gives two illustrations. The first one is a kind of an interesting one for me. He says, for among them are those who creep into households. So in this list, these people who make up this resume, right? For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. And so I read that the first time, and I thought, oh, man, couldn't he have said that different? Because all the women are going to be going, he's saying we're weak. What's his problem with women? Okay. Paul does not have a problem with women. You have to put it in its context. You understand what's being said here. Um, the emphasis, first of all, is watch out for people who crawl in and are trying to destroy what God is trying to do. Um, uh, typically, typically, women, when this was written, were at home a lot more 
They didn't get the education. They didn't get the business experience. They didn't get the opportunity. And some of the versions might even say a gullible. Um, Paul's not anti-women. He's just being real about the situation. And so here's how it would be. When I was a kid, I used to watch Westerns on television. And you'd have the guy who would come to town. It was selling snake oil, which basically was like a medicine that really didn't work. But they would sell it. And people would buy it and think it was working for them. And who did they go after? They didn't go after the doctors and the lawyers and the business. Those guys just instinctively would know. They went to people who didn't know any better. Are you saying, are you saying Pastor, women don't know any better? It's not what I'm saying. Some, say, to your, say to your neighbor, he's not saying that. No, please do that. Say that to your neighbor. He's not saying that. Look over there and say that. I'm not saying that. Okay? We're talking about the situation they found themselves in. They weren't as trained. They weren't as... And these people would come and they would, they would build up all these things and watch out for those people. And we need to watch out for them and we need to be careful, the, the people who are on that list and what makes up their character and, and what they look like and they're coming and they're trying to deceive you and they're trying to teach you. First of all, this book is not enough. You need to find other things. God's word is not enough for you. It's not a sufficient The second illustration he uses is in verse eight. He says, just as Janas and Jambres... Who in the world were those guys? So I looked it up. Their names aren't found anywhere else in the Bible. So that didn't help me very much. But it says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Okay, clue. Those who opposed Moses, and then you go back into Jewish tradition. It's the only place they're named in the Bible, right? Um, But if you go back into Exodus, we're not going to do that today. You can study this at home. Back in Exodus chapter 7, when Moses was coming before Pharaoh, and there there were these magicians who were coming, and that's who these guys are. That's who who Jews believe these guys were, and they were named in tradition and all the rest of it. And, And Paul just gives us their names, but we didn't have them anywhere else in the Bible. But just as these two guys opposed Moses, so he's speaking to make a parallel between people who come in and try and deceive you, Um, So these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. What a statement to be said. You never want that said about you. Disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. The world we live in, the word of God is sufficient to demonstrate it, to show it to us and um, to make the light shine off and on as to what we don't want as a follower of Jesus Christ on our resume. That's the first thing. The second thing we want to see is, well, what does the walk of a believer look like? The Word of of God is sufficient so that we can thrive as believers. And and so uh, Paul goes on in verses 10 to 15, and he says, you, however, have followed my teaching. And he goes on and he gives a list. Um, You, Timothy... You, follower of Jesus Christ, you're different. You're not like that. You have followed, and that word followed is a broader word. It's it's really a word about teaching and and discipling, but he goes on and he gives a list. So it's not just about the things that Paul said to him in teaching him, but it's the way Paul lived his life out in front of him so that Timothy could have an example 
So you followed after, not only my words, not all what we learned in the classroom as it were, but what you learned as you followed me around. Uh, Timothy would have learned that Paul wasn't perfect. He would have learned that he struggled some days. He would learn that he got frustrated with Christians who weren't walking as they should. He would, he would have seen all of that. But, but he said to him, he said to him that you followed, you however followed. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are people who are following you. You're like, no, 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 pastor, not me. I don't serve in Awana. I don't teach in Harvest Kids. I'm not in a small group. Nobody's following me. Yeah, they are. Because all those things I just said, you're teaching. You're teaching by being involved. You're teaching by not being involved. You're teaching by serving. You're teaching by how you don't serve. Our lives are just filled with influencing people. Um, it was a John Maxwell who said, if you could take leadership down to one word, the word would be influence. And probably that would be if you only had one word. We're all influencing people. And, uh, and, and so Paul, as he's writing to, to Timothy, um, you, however, followed and so we uh, need to have people that we follow. We have people that we look up to and respect and learn from. But we also need to remember there are people who are following us. And uh, so what does he say? You followed. He says, first of all, my teaching. My teaching. The things that I taught you along the way. As I taught you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. As I talked to you how I hated Christians and wanted to see them put to death. As I taught you what God has done and he transformed my life. You followed it. As I taught you about how you can be uh, right before God and God's righteousness can be put on you and your sin can be put, you followed after that. As I taught you how you can be just as if you'd never sinned when you trust Christ, justification is yours. You followed that. You watched my life and you're seeking to be like me. Paul said in Corinthians, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. You followed that. You saw my teaching. And then he goes on building into that. He says, you saw my conduct. You saw my conduct. And when people look at you and they see the way you live, what, what does that conduct look like? He says, you saw the aim of my life or the goals that I had, what I was going for. You saw my faith demonstrated. He goes on, you saw my patience uh, Paul, patience with people, patience when he was in prison. You, you saw my love. You saw my care for people and my desire for them. And you saw my steadfastness. I stuck with it. I didn't quit and I don't, I don't give up. Then he goes on, he says this. You saw my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconia and Lystra. You know, Timothy, you're learning. You're seeing all these things. You're watching me. You're growing. Uh, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says this. He turns it and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You, you saw it all. You saw the way I taught. You saw my conduct. You saw my faith. You saw my love. You saw my patience. You saw my steadfastness. You saw all of those things. You watched the way that I lived when I suffered. You watched the way that I lived when I was persecuted. And then he really says, Timothy, be ready because it's coming to you. Now you will be persecuted. I want to come back to that because there's two words first that need to be seen before we dive into who's going to be persecuted. But indeed, all who desire live a godly life, here's the two words, in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Later on in the text, he talks about salvation again. 
but talking about in Christ. And the million-dollar question today for anyone who's in the room is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Has Christ saved you? Are you born again? Have you trusted Christ alone for your salvation? You, you use whatever word you want to use for that, but are you in Christ? A person who's in Christ is a person who understands that I can't get to God on my own. It only happens when I am in Christ. When Christ's blood shed on the cross to cover my sin, when I've, when I've taken hold of that by faith, then I am in Christ. Uh, what was old, the sin is gone. It's put on Christ, what he did on the cross. His blood covered your sin and his righteousness was put on you. Today are you in Christ. You don't get in Christ by trying to be a good person, by trying harder, by being motivated, by you, you put on Christ. You are in Christ when you transfer your trust and you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Are you in Christ? If you're not, don't try to get to God. God got to you in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's God's gift. Are you in Christ? And he goes on, he says, everyone who is in Christ, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. Uh, we've lived in North America, most of us in the room, most or all of our lives, and, and we haven't lived in a context of real persecution. But I will say this, if you are in Christ in Canada, and you haven't been removed from somebody's Christmas card list, or people don't talk to you, or you haven't faced pressure in your workplace, it's because you're not living in Christ like you ought to live. There should be pressure that's put on you. Comments should be made about you. You may not be taken to jail. You might not be beaten. But if you are in Christ, you're living counter to the culture. The culture is all those things in that first list. And you're not those things in that first list. And people should be in your face about that. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you, you, know, you Christians think you're something? No, we don't. Christians understand we're just sinners saved by grace. The only difference between you and your neighbor, if you are in Christ, you're both sinners. You've just been saved by grace. You're not better than they are. You're not higher than they are. You're not. You're just saved. And you didn't do it. God did it. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived... That's the way the world's going to continue. You're going to be different. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And look at this next verse, very important. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for your salvation, the bigger picture of salvation, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings. You understood what the Word of God was, and, and you know it, and you've read it, and you've, you're acquainted with it, and it changes you. It makes you different. In 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, it says, His divine power, your salvation, the change that happened to you, as you read the word, as somebody brought the truth of God's word to you, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and, and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You have the knowledge. It has changed your heart if you are in, in Christ. So the first part of the passage was about what does the world look like, and the second part of the passage is uh, who is a follower, and, and what do we do, and how do we walk, and, um, but then we go on to the next part, and it's really the, the real focus of this message about the sufficiency of Scripture. God's Word is enough, um, and, and the message here would be the Word we trust, the Word that we trust. I'm not going to go back through the eight things that we saw a few weeks ago. Uh, you can go back and listen to that if you mess, missed it. But we're going to talk about this, this word and, and what do we believe about this word? What do we believe about it? And it's good for us to review these things. It's good for us to remember what God's word is. It's good for us to focus on. This isn't just a book that we bring on Sunday to church and it sits on the shelf all day. We believe this book is the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't include everything in the world that's true. The volumes could never contain everything that's true. But everything that's in it is true. And it's exactly what God wanted us to have in our church, we believe there are 66 books of the Bible, and we believe they're all true, and that God has given to us, and that's the way that uh, he revealed to himself, and is really his self-disclosure to mankind of who he is and wanted, what he wanted for us, all of it, all 66 books, was written by different men. While writing in their own styles and writing with their own personalities, they were supernaturally moved by God. We'll see that in just a minute. And it's uh, something that we can apply, and we can study it. We take a look at it. We believe God's Word is literal, and so we read it, and the interpretation of it is first literal. We look at the grammar to see what it says, because we believe it's God's Word. We don't leave parts of it out. It's like we come to a difficult book, and they go, I don't know. No, we believe it. We believe Genesis 1, God's creation, as much as we believe the flood, as much as we believe the tower, as much as we believe Jonah in the whale, as much as we believe the virgin birth and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension on our part. We believe all of it. But pastor, there's some parts I don't understand. Yeah, there's some parts I don't understand either. And maybe some of it I won't understand until I get to heaven. But 99% of it is really easy, is clear, and we believe it. If there's something you struggle with or stumble through, keep studying. Keep studying God's Word. And maybe you'll find out when you get to heaven. We believe that Scripture is trustworthy and it's our sufficient, final authority. Okay, now those were big words you just heard. We believe that it's, our, it's trustworthy and is our final and sufficient authority authority for our life. Nothing's more important. Your experience never trumps the Word of God. Your opinion never trumps the Word of God. We don't try and make it fit into our lives, but rather we live our lives under its authority. 
And so the person, because you, you can get it whatever you want. If you, if you take it and put it in second place and put your experience in first place or put your opinion in first place, and that's what happens when people come into my office and, you know, the, the young lady or the young man comes in and oh, I met this person. They're amazing. They're all, oh, yeah, we're all googly-eyed with each other. We think we're going to get married. And are they saved? Have they put their trust in Christ? Well, no, but the Lord told me. No, he didn't. Your hormones told you. Your opinion told you. The guy's a sugar daddy. Told you. I don't know what told you, but God's word never told you that. We come under the authority of God's word. It's not popular in our world. It's not even popular with some Christians. Well, no, but, but we believe that like, Christians should have everything and should all just be given to you. And, you know, you just name it and claim it and you'll have it. I'll tell you what's guaranteed. Persecution. Persecution. But when you put your opinion or some experience ahead of God's word, your eyes get off of what God has for you and and how he will deliver and he will graciously work and an awesome work of God can be done in your life and God's word is our authority. When we ran out of water at our house, we went and found water in other places. But this is the living word. It never runs out. You never have to go anywhere else for that authority. So there's some words we talk about in the church about the scriptures and uh, just quickly go through those. Here's the first one, the word inspired. The word inspired. Look at, at verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's that word inspired. Inspired means to be breathed out. Now that was a word that God used when he described uh, putting life into man in Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. God is the source. God is the life. God is the breath. And God breathed out his word. It is inspired. Uh, two words we use that describe that, when the theologians would use, one would be what they call plenary inspiration. The other one would be verbal inspiration. A plenary inspiration simply just means all of it is God's word. All of it, right from Genesis 1, 1, all the way through to the end of Revelation 22, verse 21. We believe that all of it is God's word. And then we believe in this thing that's called verbal inspiration. And that means the very words are inspired by God. When they, when they wrote it down, when Moses wrote it down, when Peter wrote it down, when Paul wrote it down, it was exactly what God wanted them to write. But you say, well, but they're different. Yeah, God used their temperaments. God used their experiences. But he crafted what they wrote. They weren't robots. They were writing. But God was in control of it. And we believe that God verbally inspired his word. It's his word. But he used these guys. And it's neat how God has protected it. It's neat how God has protected it and they find new uh, documents and they open them up and, and you take a look at how God's word has, has been protected. 
And so we get to our version. Now, Sue mentioned to me there's a difference in my ESV than there was in her ESV, even in the, this verse we're in, because mine says, uh, for reproof, for correction, for training, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Does your version say a different word? What does your version say? Competent, right? Well, see, God's word's wrong. No, it's not. It, so you're taking from one language and putting to another language, and it's not just one word. And so the writers try to choose the best word that it is, and, and God protected his word. But what God gave us is exactly what he wanted us to have. God's word is, God's word is all of it, and it's verbally inspired, the very words. Second Peter 1.20 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe in inspiration. We believe God's Word is inerrant. That means it's free from error. There are none. Zero, nada, not one error. Well, None. Well, should we not, you know, be challenged on it? Yeah, go ahead, but not. Uh, study scholars who study the Bible and not people who are out to try to destroy something, but you know, all of it, there's no errors. God wrote it. God wrote it. Do I understand it all? I will one day, but I understand most of it, and it's clear. It's infallible. That means it's incapable of error. Not only is it without error, it's not even possible to be wrong. And we hold a very high view of Scripture. And we believe our responsibility of believer, as believers is to come under the Word of God. Nothing else is a greater authority in the follower of Jesus' life, uh, the follower of Jesus' life than, than following the Word of God. That's the authority. And we come under it. Well, what if I'm sick? Should I go to the doctor? The Bible tells you, go to the doctor. But this is our authority. And so what do you run to for your sufficiency? What are you looking to for the answers to life's struggle? They're found in God's Word. And one more little bonus point here, and that is um, the neat thing is that as we, what we call the priesthood of all believers, we believe that we can study God's Word. We, not just me up here at front on, on Sunday, all of us. You can open God's Word. You can read it. You can study it. You, you have more tools available to you today than any generation has ever had before. You can get to the truth of God's Word. You can know it. You can know it. It's sufficient. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable. It's all that we need for life and godliness. And so we come to the why then. The why of the Word of God. And it's found in the last part of these last two verses. He says, um, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. There's value here. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We come under God's authority, come under the authority of God's Word, and God's Word starts to do some things. It teaches us, this verse says. It reproves us. It sometimes is the kick in the head you need, the punch in the face. It's the, what was I thinking as you pick yourself up off the ground from reading God's Word? It's, it's that powerful sometimes. And it corrects us sometimes. 
We, we're, we're on a path and we're, ah, I'm on the wrong path. It corrects us. It teaches us. It reproves us. It corrects us. And, it, and for training in righteousness. You want to be a righteous person? Well, we're made righteous in Jesus Christ, but we become righteous how? By doing what God's Word says. By the way you lead your family, by the way you lead your wife, by the way you study the Word and seek to put God on the throne, and it's all, it's all right here in the book. And we come under its authority. And when you do it, it makes you righteous. What will it accomplish? That the man of God may be complete, competent, mature, Equipped for every good work. Not some good works. Every good work. Every good work. God's word is sufficient. So where do you get your sufficiency from? Where are you running to outside of God's word? God's word is a sufficient source. Not our church, not the leaders, not your friends, not your God's word God's word is sufficient for us. Well, so what? So what? God's word is sufficient so that we can stand in a very dark world, so that we can understand a dark world. It demonstrates that world to us. It's the world we live in. God's word is sufficient so we can thrive as believers and walking in it. You know, one of the greatest texts there is in the Bible about the sufficiency of Scripture is found in Psalm 19. So that's, we're not going back to, we're done in 2 Timothy. Take your Bibles and flip over to Psalm 19. Um, we want to see this. It's a great text. It's a great psalm. And it talks about what God's word does for us. What God's word does in us. It's a, a great passage about the sufficiency of Scripture. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. Why do we need to put God's word up and above everything else? Why do I come under the word of God? The psalmist said this, the law of the Lord, the word of God, is perfect, reviving the soul. Your soul need restoration today? You're not going to find restoration in Oprah or in your self-help books. Restoration comes from God. The law of the Lord is perfect to revive your soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's God's word that will make you wise, not your ideas, not somebody else's ideas. We study the word of God and it will make you wise. The precepts or the teachings, the principles of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When you study God's word, you'll be a person filled with joy. You will rejoice. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know what decision you make. You start in the word of God. It'll give a clear message. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's no impurity. There's no failing in, in God and his teaching. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You don't need to worry that you're going to get bad advice from the Bible. Moreover, they're to be desired than gold. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Really, Pastor? More than a better job, more than a better standing in my workplace, 
More than more money. More than more stuff. Really? Really, Pastor? Yeah. God's Word is sufficient. And it's to be desired more than anything. It's even sweet. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Because the sufficient Word is our one desire. And he finishes, Moreover by them is your servant warned. God's Word warns us. And in keeping God's Word, there is great reward. God's Word. It is what we need. It is all we need. It is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word, the truth that comes from it. Father, the challenge. Maybe we saw some things in that first list that would be found on our resume, and God, we need to get those things right. We need to deal with those things. They don't, they're not the description of what a follower of Jesus Christ should look like. But Lord, you've given us your word, and it is enough. It is sufficient. It, it doesn't come second after my experience. It doesn't come after my opinion. It doesn't come after the thoughts of other people. It comes first. Lord, would you teach us to trust you, to trust the book you've given to us, and then, Lord, to live an abundant, glorious life in a struggling world for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.